podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of the Beyond the Known podcast, we are joined by Pat Miller, the idea coach. Pat has over 20 years of experience strategizing and positioning events with radio stations and digital brands including WTMJ and WKTI right here in Milwaukee. He also hosted morning and afternoon shows, along with serving as the Director of Marketing and Innovation. His favorite part? Bringing big, all caps, big ideas to life. We are joined by Pat Miller. Pat, welcome to the show. Hi, Paul. How are you? I am well. I'm always a little better when I'm talking to you, though. (laughs) I have that effect on people. It's just what I do. (laughs) Yes, you do. And you are quite good at that, my friend. So let's get down to work here. So you had quite a successful career in radio. Why make the switch from a successful career where you were an established known commodity to becoming the idea coach? Can you kind of walk me through the decision process there? Yeah, uh, it was a great career in radio and I loved doing what I was doing, but I wanted to specialize And I was going to be forced to specialize in radio one way or another. So I was at a point where I had one foot in the content creation area where I was helping the program directors and on-air talents accomplish their goals of building their audience. And then I had another foot in the sales and operations area where I was helping the sales managers go get results for their clients. Both of those projects all fed into what I really loved, which was creating new things, creating ideas, creating programs, creating digital products and promotions. And I wanted to do more of that. The challenge was, is that the only way to get ahead in the radio business is to specialize or get into a bigger market. And what I mean is I was at the point of my career where I had to make the choice of, do I want to go be the marketing director in Chicago or Atlanta or Los Angeles and specialize as the marketing person in a bigger market? Or do I want to pick a side and go back to being just a programming guy or just a manager, like a general manager? And I didn't want to specialize in one of those fields. And my wife owns a successful photography studio here in Milwaukee, and we love it here in Milwaukee. So we didn't want to move. So I just kind of ran out of runway in the radio business. And I thought I was at the time I was 44, I think. And I was thinking, okay, if I don't go do it now, I'll never go do it. So I rolled the dice and left the radio business and started my own company. Well, one of the things that I heard you mention a couple of times, and I know you get really passionate about this subject when we discuss it, is the ability to create new things, to to really kind of imagine things up and ask yourself, well, why not? Why can't this be done? Where has your love of creating new things come from? No, it's always been a passion and it's driven by being competitive. And this is something that I realized later in life. I always knew it, but I never knew why I loved it so much. And it dawned on me a couple of years ago that the reason why I love creating new things is that I like the challenge of solving a problem uh, that can't be solved. There's, there's, to me, there's no such thing as a challenge that can't be solved if you know what the outcome is supposed to look like and you know what your resources are or can be. Because creating a solution is really thoroughly understanding the problem. And when you thoroughly understand the problem and you thoroughly understand what success looks like, most times you can create it. So I'm fired up by the idea of solving a problem 
that maybe others can't. It's a competitive thing. I can do it, bring it on, and that's what gets me excited. Now, can I solve every problem? No, but I love the competitive nature of being able to do it. And when it dawned on me as a hyper-competitive type A person that that's why I love solving problems, it just kind of all aligned for me. So that's what gets me fired up about it. And I just love that challenge. It's my favorite thing on the planet. Yeah, I can certainly understand and appreciate where that comes from. If you were to generalize a little bit, what would you say is one of the biggest challenges that business owners face today? I think a lot of it's internal. And because we're talking broad strokes here, there are so many different small business owners and so many different issues that we're all facing. But one of the things that I think is universal is that most small business owners, uh, two things. They don't thoroughly understand what their customer wants from them, and uh, they're way too concerned talking about themselves. And not personally, not egotistically. What I mean is they're way more concerned about selling their features rather than selling their benefits. How many times have you heard this? Well, we have 35 years of experience, or you know, we've won awards, or you know, those sorts of things. The customer doesn't care. They don't care. Do you do the thing? And are you going to do the thing the way that I want you to? That's what they're concerned about. So they'll talk about their features, not the benefits of using the product. And uh, also, I don't think they understand their customers well enough. They don't know exactly why their customer is buying from them. So when I talk to businesses, especially small businesses, about growing, those are two of the first things that I try and drill into is exactly why are they buying from you? And what are the benefits of using your product? Not what your features are, because really nobody cares what your features are. Just do what I want you to do and you'll be more successful. Yeah, that's a good point. And I certainly don't want you to necessarily dabble into your secret sauce here, but generally speaking, how do you recommend that your clients get to know their customers better? Are we talking about simple surveys? Are we talking about simple questionnaires or Are there some other things that these business owners and organizations should be considering doing in an effort to better understand what their customers want? I think when you ask questions like that today, the answer is supposed to be this digital website where you can go and the algorithms run the stuff. And that's not the answer that I'm going to give. Here's the answer that I'm going to give, especially if you're a C-suite executive. When is the last time that you left your office and went and had coffee with a customer? If it's been longer than two weeks, there's your problem. Now, that's ridiculous. I'm a C-suite executive. I can't. Yes, you can. A customer, if you ask them, will give you the answers to the test. Now, there may be ways that you can use social listening and, and data gathering tools, and you can learn things using technology. There's nothing wrong with that. And there are people that are doing a great job of it at scale. But if you're a decision maker, especially of a big organization, and you haven't taken the time to literally have a conversation with the people that buy your stuff, that answers the question why you might feel out of touch with who your customer is. Because they love telling you. They'll tell you anything you want to know, especially if you're the CEO. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm the CEO of the Star Group. Got five minutes and they'll go, uh, I've been a customer of yours for 10 years. I can't believe you called me. And they'll tell you anything you want to know. 
So that would be a very sophisticated and high-tech method I would use to get to know your customers better. To some degree, Pat, what you're saying is sort of along the lines of the KISS method of leadership, the keep it simple, stupid method. You don't need to come up with the latest technological innovation. You don't need to come up with some brand new algorithm. You just really got to get back to basics. And it's interesting that you talk about CEOs reaching out to a client or several clients every two weeks. Would you say the majority of C-suite executives follow your advice in that regard? I don't work with enough of them to say majority, but uh, my gut would tell me that they don't spend enough time. I would think that many of them would think, well, I've got people for that. And and I'm not sure if that's a really uh, quality practice. The other thing that I don't see enough people doing, C-suite executives or small business owners, I don't see them shopping their own business enough. When's the last time you went to your website and signed up for the newsletter and read what your people are sending out? gone to the website and tried to buy a product, uh, visited a store and ex- inspected things. Um, what's, what's the phrase? People respect what you inspect. And it's easy to rely on your people to do that for you. And it's not about checking up on people. It's about knowing the quality of your product. And is it living up to the standards that you want to set as a leader? And some of these low-tech, high-effort kind of things will probably teach you way more than the Monday 360 meeting that you have with your team. Plus, you'll feel more confident. And here's the other benefit of doing it while I just get off on a tangent here. One of the most powerful things you can do as a CEO or as a leader is to catch your team doing something right, not catching them doing something wrong. If you go shop the store and realize that Tommy, the person at the front desk, followed all the new protocols for COVID-19 and did an outstanding job of serving, and you make that in an all-company announcement, Tommy, Tommy's manager, the store manager, they'll all feel like a million bucks because, quote-unquote, you took the time. It's a best practice you should be doing anyway, and it's a great way to drive morale and enthusiasm throughout the entire company. Yeah, that's a great point. I would say that is certainly one of those hallmarks of a vibrant corporate culture, the importance of acknowledgement. And I think there's a a ton of ancillary benefits, as you just outlined there for sure. Now, Pat, you give credit to where you are in life and the success that you've had through the generous assistance of great mentors, among other things. Would you mind sharing with our listeners who some of those mentors in your life have been and how specifically they've impacted you? Yeah, I first have to start with the radio career. There are a few people in the radio career, Tom Langmeyer, Steve Wexler, Mark Halverson, Deb Lesser. This, this, this group of four leaders all throughout my radio career affected me in different ways. Uh, most recently, Tom Langmeyer, who was the general manager of mine at WTMJ, and Steve Wexler, who was in charge of the entire radio group, uh, they did something that's very rare today. They knew that I wasn't a fit for my position, and they gave me the latitude that I didn't deserve. As I continued to grow into what I wanted to be when I grew up, they encouraged me, they empowered me, they allowed me to investigate things that weren't inside my job scope. And along the way, I discovered some new things for us and did some really cool things. But they gave me the latitude that I needed to stay fulfilled while I was figuring out what my future was. Um, so they were great teachers, great mentors, and I'm very grateful for them. The other two folks that I mentioned, uh, Mark Halverson is a mentor of mine, younger, uh, earlier in my career. And um, you know, he was there for me 
as I was just figuring out what it meant to be a professional. And he was a huge teacher along the way. And Deb Lesser was my college advisor who really took me under her wing and showed me what it meant to be um, good at my job and, and taught me almost everything that I knew about the radio business. So those, those four people along the way, amongst many others, but those four people in particular at different points in my career uh, helped me develop really the basics that I lean on every day today. So very grateful for them. Yeah, certainly sounds like you've been blessed to have some fantastic mentors and role models in your life. And I'm one of those individuals that believes strongly that iron sharpens iron. And it sure would sound like you've been sharpened by some some pretty talented individuals throughout your professional career. So you made a, a move that I think a number of people to some degree would like to make, but just don't, where they have an idea, they're, they've got a dream, maybe there's an opportunity to go from point A to point B, do something more, be better, whatever the case may be. But the bottom line is you took the leap based on the timing that you were that, that you thought was appropriate and based on some of the circumstances in your life. Again, knowing that this might be a person-by-person person individual decision, Pat, if there's some listeners to this podcast right now that have a goal, have a dream, they want to do something more or different with their life, how, how would you counsel someone to know when the timing is right? There are best practices to be ready to make a jump. But let's set that to the side for a minute because those are all excuses. Because life is too short to spend one more minute of your life doing something you don't love. And I don't mean happy at, or I can do that and monetize. I mean, love. I get out of bed every single day, loving what I do because I come up with ideas and get results for my clients. That's all I want to do. And I'm having more fun now than I've ever had at any moment in my life. Six, 16, 26, 36, Throughout my entire life, I'm having more fun now than ever. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're a marketing director at a big company and you're thinking, man, I'd love to start my own thing, go. Because here's the worst thing that could happen. And this is literally the thought process I had as I left my career in radio behind. I thought, well, what if this doesn't work? And my backup to that was Johnson Controls is always going to need a marketing guy right? There are people out there that need marketing guys. So if this doesn't work, I'll just go be a marketing guy someplace. But here's what I won't be able to do. If I don't take the jump, I'll never know about what could be. And if you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, man, I would love to go do that, then go do it because life is too short not to, and you will regret it. Trust me, you will regret it. And when we go back to the best practices part, I mean, I could give you the stock answers of save up three to six months worth of expenses, try and take some clients with you, uh, have your business plan ready to go, uh, minimize your expenses. I mean, there are ways to do it, but the ways to do it are secondary. And if you're thinking about going to do something and you're throwing up the ways to do it, then you really don't want to go do it. Because if you really want to go do it, you'll do the homework. It's a question of will. And if you have something you want to go do, I implore you to go do it because you will regret it if you don't. Yeah, very inspiring stuff for sure. And I have zero doubt, Pat, that you learned a lot along the way. I know you just recently celebrated your two-year anniversary as the idea coach. So 
Uh, obviously, congratulations to you there. And something tells me you're just getting going. So it's going to be exciting to sit back and watch all the lives that you touch and the continued success that you're going to have. But over these course of the last two years, what would you say is the biggest thing that you learned during this transition? And what advice would you share to our listeners in that regard? That's a great question. And the answer was something that I initially resisted. It took me six months to figure out that this was the answer to the test. And then it's taken me 18 months to spend time doing it. Um, and this kind of ties into your last question. If you're thinking about going out to do something, what, what should you do? The answer is networking. When I was at the radio station, I thought I had a good personal network. I thought that I knew a lot of people. Well, I did business with a lot of people. I didn't know a lot of people. And when people say, oh, you should go out and network, a lot of people like get frozen like deer in a headlights. Networking, isn't that where you stand around and grab a lukewarm cup of coffee and sling business cards at people, right? That's what a lot of people think networking. You're supposed to go out and sell yourself. I don't want to sell. Networking is the one activity that helps you grow the business. And here's the way to network. This is all you need to do to network. And you'll show up and do great at networking with this one thing. Show up at networking and say, hi, my name is Pat. What do you do? And then when they tell you, say, how can I help you? And then just have a conversation. Don't show up and sell your thing. Don't show up and sling business cards. Just meet people and say, how can I help you? And then when they say, oh, you know what? I'd like to be introduced to Paul Newberger. You could say, oh, I know Paul. Yeah, I'll make an introduction. Like when they say, what can I do for you? And they give you an idea, then do it. Boom, you've made a great contact. And when you show up in that way and you give and you connect and you do that at scale, your business transforms. Right now, at this minute of my life, if there was a fire, figuratively, in my business, the one thing I would take and run out of the building is my personal network. It is by far the most valuable thing that I have. So you cannot do enough networking as long as you show up in the right way. That's the biggest lesson. You don't grow your business by social media advertising. You don't grow your business by email newsletters. To me, especially in a coaching or a consulting kind of business, you grow your business by getting out of your house and shaking hands or bumping elbows, I guess now, and network with people because networking is everything. That's the thing that I've learned. You know, that's a fascinating answer. And I've been to several networking events where I wish more individuals subscribe to that theory. Yeah, slinging business cards or talking all about themselves or really talking about their products or services before they even know if you're a fit. I mean, I think that certainly turns people off and can rub individuals the wrong way. You had mentioned that it, it took maybe six months in before you realized the transformative power of that. If you don't mind me asking, when did that light bulb go off? Was it something you just always kind of knew but didn't really deploy? Did you see somebody else do it? What was the light bulb moment for Pat Miller to really change your approach to networking in that regard? I would give credit to the Brookfield Chamber of Commerce. They subscribe by the idea of how can I help you? And when you start living that, things start to happen. And then you realize, oh, if I run for office and I just go out and meet as many people as I can, good things happen. And I'm going to add two more things about networking while I can, because I think they're, they're fun little games that I play with myself. And maybe you can use this, maybe you can't. If you struggle with networking, I know, Paul, you don't, you know everybody. But if you struggle with networking, here are two games you can play. 
The first game is, I think about networking in person like tennis. When we're having a conversation, I ask them about their business. And that's the me figuratively hitting the tennis ball to their side of the court. And when they serve it back, I try and serve it back to them as quickly as they as I can. Oh, Pat, tell me about your business. Oh, well, I'm the idea coach and I help small business owners increase their marketing or improve their marketing to increase their sales. So tell me about that growth opportunity you have. And I hit the ball back over the net. And I try and have as long of a conversation about them as I can. Because then I get as much information as I can and I'll leave that conversation with something I can do to help them. It's just a little game that I play because you're right, Paul. There's nothing worse than going to a networking event and having someone talk your ear off and not be concerned about what you do as well. So that's something that I do. And then there's a, t- a tip that someone gave me that sounded ridiculous on its face, but it has really proven powerful. Never give someone your business card. Wait till they ask. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Oh, hey, would you like my card? Because it's something you do at networking. You're like, oh, you got to give them your card. It, It sounds so dumb. But when you don't give your business card until they ask, it's almost a huge buying sign. You know that they're bought into the conversation. Uh, it Those are two silly little games, but those are two games that have helped me identify if I've made a quality connection with someone. And it's also enhanced my ability to get something out of the conversation so I know that I'm going to serve them next time I contact them. No, well said. Some people... Networking is way outside of their comfort zone. So looking at it as a game, looking at it as a fun little activity is certainly one way, I think, to get people to be comfortable doing that and and certainly make that part of their repertoire on a more regular basis. Uh, One of the thoughts that I would have, and I don't know if you can point to a specific individual or organization, but I mean, you're describing an awful lot of best practices, best practices in marketing, best practices in customer engagement, best practices in networking, best practices in running an organization. Who might you be able to hold out as an individual and organization that does these little things right? There's one company that comes to mind, and it's something that many of us know. I think the Paps Theater Group in Milwaukee kills it. They're unbelievable. They have all of the boxes checked when it comes to multimedia email marketing, social media marketing, in-person events. And what makes them unique is they have a very clear point of view, but they also have an insanely fragmented audience. They are serving people from Jerry Seinfeld fans to EDM fans to country fans, and they segment their list in an excellent way. So as a a comedy fan, you don't get emails about country music. And if you're a country fan, you don't get emails about heavy metal or the movie watch parties that they throw. Uh, I think if you're looking for who's doing social and basically contemporary digital marketing well, the Paps Theater Group is just someone that could be a case study. You could write an, uh, an MBA thesis on what they're doing. I'm really impressed by them. Yeah, that's good information to know. And I'm sure that our listeners will at least appreciate having an organization to to look into, to research. And I think we'd be well served to learn a little bit more about some of the great stuff that they have going on. I'm sure this is something that you're getting a lot of questions about, Pat. But one of the things that is appealing to me about the work that you do is you specifically cater your products and your service and your expertise to small businesses. Not to say there's anything wrong with large businesses, because there's absolutely not. But I, I know your sweet spot is small businesses. 
And obviously we're still not back to normal by any means, but I think the worst, hopefully the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic is behind us. And I'd like your take on this because several weeks ago when we were really starting to get into the the throes of things, I read something on Yahoo Finance by a world-renowned economist. And she said in a good scenario, keep in mind, this is a good scenario. 30% of small businesses in this country will close based on that disruption. So as small businesses now are starting to emerge, as small businesses are starting to get back on track, what advice would you have for organizations as they try to return to some sense of normalcy following this period of unprecedented disruption? It's a great question. And obviously, this answer will vary depending on what kind of small business that you have. But a few things come to mind. The first thing is you have to immediately and aggressively reset your goals for 2020. You need to embrace the idea that you're going to be probably down this year. And there's nothing we can do about it. And that's okay. The answer isn't to recover your 12-month 2020 plan. The answer is to recover the rest of this year in the next six months. Do what you can to really get close to that number so you can have a successful second half of the year. The second thing that comes to mind is you have to aggressively teach your audience how to shop your product. So you have to go back through your product with fresh eyes. We now require our our staff to wear masks. We clean 19 times a day. This is how we package our carryout. This is how you pay in advance and pay online or however you can buy the product now if that's changed. You need to teach people that. One, so they know how to buy it. And two, so they feel reassured that you're paying attention and you're working to keep them safe. The third thing you have to do is you have to make your employees feel comfortable because it's always been a challenge for business owners, no matter what the size is, to keep their employees on track. They're feeling motivated. They're, they feel like they've got a chance to grow, work-life balance, but now they've got health and safety concerns. So for the last two months, if your employees have been sent home, They may be enjoying it. They might want to stay home, but you'd rather have them in the office. So you have to go through and address their emotional needs that it's okay to come back to work and you're taking action to make sure that they're safe and healthy and that you are listening to what is on their mind. So that's a new thing. And then the last thing I would say, at least initially, well, two things really. If you made a pivot in the disruption and you survived, Before you go back to normal, evaluate that pivot because most likely that pivot included some sort of customer convenience that they may want you to keep. You're now delivering something online that used to be in person. You're now allowing delivery or curbside pickup. You're now allowing payment through the website where before you had to come into the store. Just because you can have them come back and do those things doesn't mean you should ignore what those things are. And it could open a new product line for you. And the last thing that I would say is do not wait two weeks. Do not wait a month until you feel like it's, quote unquote, okay to sell. No, start now. Start immediately. Your customers are coming to you for the problem they need solved. Get out there, show them that you can do it, and do not wait to be aggressive because you have to get out there and sell. Well, there's only one regret I have, Pat Miller, with respect to this 
conversation that we're having, and that's I wish I brought a bigger notepad to keep up with all these gems. I'm running out of pages. My goodness, I feel like I should be paying you for this information. That is absolutely outstanding advice. What would you say, generally speaking, yet again, generally speaking, when we hear about all the negatives of COVID-19, you hear about the bad stuff, rightfully so. Talk to me about the silver lining of COVID-19. Well, we're giving ourselves the space to have this conversation independent of the virus and the damage that it's done to our fellow citizens. So using that as a big old flashing caveat, because I don't want to seem insensitive, but to answer the question, I think when we look back as a small business owner, I've been telling my clients that if you survive, you're going to thrive because the folks that don't survive could have been your competitors in the past. And if you can hang on and get back to when the business velocity resumes, you're going to do great. So I'm optimistic about where we're going, but what did we learn? I think late March, early April, we had to strip everything down. We had to look at our organizations and we had to reevaluate everything that we offer and what are the critical activities and benefits we had to provide our clients. We had to get better information on who our clients are and what our clients needed from us. And if there's a silver lining, I think it's that. Every business had to understand their critical deliverable and find a way to give it to their audience in a way that they weren't giving it to them before, most likely. So we're going to see improved digital products. We're going to see forced adaptation for convenient delivery. And in the whole, we're going to see customers having a stronger voice and more of a presence inside the decision maker's office. So I think that's the biggest benefit is we had to stop and understand what we were delivering and how we delivered it. And in the long run, that's a good thing because it stripped away a lot of other stuff that was on our plate. Yeah, that's definitely good insight there. And I, and I think over the course of this conversation up to this point, Pat, we've gotten to know Pat Miller, the professional. We've gotten to know Pat Miller, the ideas coach, and we've certainly learned a little bit more about your background and your skill set and some of the unique value-add propositions that you bring to the individuals and organizations you work with. What I'd like to do here briefly is get to know a little bit more about Pat Miller, the person. Where does all of that drive, ambition, competition, where, where does that come from? And when did you first start noticing in your life that you had those qualities? I've had that competitive drive my entire life. It's just popped up and manifested in different ways. You know, when I was in uh, junior high, it was basketball and high school, it was baseball. It was the golf team. By the way, the best high school sport to play, golf team. All four years, went to state. It was the best, I'm telling you. Uh, speech team, forever. Uh, I was always competitive and I always wanted to win. Maybe it was because my sister and I would compete when I was a kid. Um, but when it became apparent to me that there was a thing in business where people would get into a room and nobody had the answer, like, oh yeah, I can do this. Watch this. So it was the way that I'm expressing my competitive juices right now. And I've just transferred that to my business. So I guess that's where it came from, but I look at it as sport. I mean, to me, creating great big ideas and solving problems is just as competitive as sitting at the poker table or going to the golf course or going into the CrossFit gym. 
this is the arena and I'm here to win. And I absolutely love it. So I don't know. That's where it came from, but that's how I think about it. Yeah, and that's interesting. So here's a, a, a two-part question. Number one, do you think a love of competition is a prerequisite to being a successful business owner? And number two, what would you say to maybe some of the the parents listening that that have children and they're thinking about their kids and what their future roles might be that maybe they have a child that's not very competitive, someone that maybe shies away from that. Is there anything that can be done to foster a love of competition or is it just you either have it or you don't? I don't know if you have it or you don't. That's a really good question. I think a lot of competition could be replaced by having really clear goals and wanting the goals more than beating someone else. I mean, competition in its heart to me is winning. But some people can define goals and consider that winning, where they're not competing against someone else. They're just trying to accomplish their goals. And I don't think you need to be a type A hyper-competitive person to be a great business leader. I've seen great business leaders that are fulfilled by primarily lifting others up and supporting others to their success. Uh, I mentioned Mark Halverson before uh, as one of my mentors. He was one of those folks. He got out of bed in the morning to take care of people and to help them be successful. And his input transformed my life. He was not type A like some of my other mentors were. So I think there are ways about going about being a great business leader that does not have to come from a type A drive. And speaking to the kids, uh, you mentioned addressing the parents that are talking to their children, helping them define what their goals are and illustrating what disciplined activity and drive can do to help them achieve their goals can help people get the same effect as competition, but it's not necessarily I win, you lose kind of competition. Yeah, that's very well said. And competition is is one of those topics that is on the minds of, of a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners. And I think it's very helpful advice for you to shed some light on that for sure. One of the things we, we, we talked a little bit about is, is your company, The Idea Coach. So you, you had kind of alluded to the fact that you offer coaching, you offer classes, you offer communities for small business owners. I mean, you are an avid networker after all, so that makes a lot of sense. If there's a, an organization listening to this podcast and, and they're thinking they might be in need of your services, they might be in need of your assistance, what types of small businesses I guess, make better potential fits for your services than others? The best small business I can help right now is someone that's getting ready to scale or has been trying to scale and has not been able to. The person that I help the most maybe is a little frustrated. They know the outcome that they're trying to seek, but they haven't been able to get over the hump. And oftentimes that's because they're not focused and they're not running for office. I tell my clients all the time, you have to look at Every minute of every day with your target audience in mind, you don't say a word without thinking about that person. You don't do anything without trying to serve them. And the running for office concept is, if you can't boil down what you do for a living in one sentence that makes them go, huh? Then you're not ready to run for office. The example that I give is, you know, instead of saying, hi, I'm Pat Miller, I'm in marketing strategy and services and tactics. No, I say, I'm Pat Miller, I'm the idea coach. And they say, what do you mean by that? Oh, well, I help you create big breakthrough ideas to improve your marketing and increase your sales. So I run for office on the idea coach. So the people I can help are the small business owners that can't sum up their one area of brilliance succinctly. 
and they've been trying to get over the hump on their next level of success and they're frustrated because they have not been able to do it. Those are the two ways that I can really help people. And I help them through coaching, monthly business coaching relationships, where I help them think through their issues and hold them accountable to get stuff done. I also have classes. I have a new foundation course that's coming online July 1 called Stand Out and Sell, which is my entire process online. And then communities. I have a free community on Facebook called Brand Crafted. And then I have a brand new community that's just started called the Idea Collective, which is founded on the idea that being a small business owner can be lonely and hard. So now I have a place called the Idea Collective where the driven type A smart kids in business are getting together to collaborate with one another. And that has resulted in almost unfair competitive edge for them. And there's some really cool stuff going on inside this group. So those are the ways that I'm helping people. And those are the people that I feel I can help the most. All right. Well, that uh, checks all the boxes I had on my side. Pat, normally at this point, before I run out of time, I turn it back to the guests just to see, did we talk about everything you wanted us to talk about? Is there any additional information that you want to share during your time as our guest on this podcast? It's such a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you and your audience. I want to send a message to anyone that's in business right now that the next six months is going to be what you think it's going to be. If you think that we're still in lockdown and things are going to be terrible, then they're going to be terrible. Even if they aren't terrible for you financially, you're not going to enjoy it. Now is really a time to set your mind to a positive nature and get out and try and improve the lives of your customers. And if you're focused on your customer and getting them results and you do it with a smile and you do it aggressively, everything's going to work out just fine. So I want to make sure that we're setting the mindset for business owners and executives, especially C-suite executives that have a large employer base. If you're not ready to lead with positivity and energy, then you're doing it wrong. And that's the message that I want to send to people right now because meeting people and serving people and doing it with a smile and intensity is always going to win. Coronavirus or not, that's what's going to win long-term. Well said, my friend. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.